0: All right. Wow. Hey, how many of you appreciate the worship team here? You ought to clap louder for them than for me. I'll tell you what. I mean, I've watched them for three services, and they are here. They are serving. They are singing. They are playing. They are strumming. They are drumming. They're doing it all. And it's no light task. Not just musically, and I played music for years, played in a band, all that mess. But it's no light task to come up and and serve. We get to do what we do, folks. But I want you to one more time, thank God for these men and women here. Would you do that? (laughs) Amen. I want to get really personal for just a moment, if I might. And I'm going to pull back a part of my life for just a second. Just a second. Today's a very special day in my life. No, it is not my birthday. That was last Sunday. But this is a very special day in my life. 49 years ago today, I sat in the front seat of a 69 Red, red White Malibu Super Sports Chevy in an A&W Root Beer Stand parking lot after listening to a guy share his story. and And sitting in the front seat of that car, Jesus came into my life. And... Folks, that's no small task. First of all, I'm from the Jersey Shore. Uh, how many of you know that's not the Bible Belt? It's not like Dallas or Tulsa or Texarkana. Secondly, I'm Jewish by birth. So, uh, I, I mean, I am a first-generation Christian. Uh, thirdly, I was a heroin addict. I was a little thug. I emulated weird people and... and uh, Got thrown out of the state of New Jersey after being arrested on narcotics charges in the largest bust in the history of that state up until that time. But one day I met a man that had Jesus in his life and wasn't afraid to show it. Those were different days in the church. Those were the days in the church where they would greet most weird-looking people with a pair of scissors and a can of and They'd go, boy, you need to get shaved or you can get saved. How many of you know Jesus catches his fish before he cleans them? He doesn't say get cleaned up, straighten up, do this, do that, and then come to me. He says, come to me just as you are. How many of you came to Jesus just as you were or you was? And he responded to you. And I sat in the front seat of that car. I had no clue what the guy was talking about. I mean, when you come from where I came from, uh, where I grew up, you were either Jewish, Catholic, or Weird. Uh, there was a Methodist church on the other side of town. I had really no clue what that was all about. And yet, I'm an American. And yet, I mean, there were no Baptists, no Pentecostals, no Charismaniacs, nothing like that. And so I had absolutely no clue. I thought the gospel was the, was was a book read in the Roman Catholic Church on high holy days. That is my exact thinking if you told me that. But when I was confronted with somebody that had Jesus in their life, and they weren't afraid to show it, Uh, he bought me a hamburger, french fries, and a Coke, because I was about 70 pounds lighter than I am today. I know you can't believe that, but nevertheless, it's true. had long, scraggly hair, pierced ear, and eight hairs hanging from my chin in a desperate teenage attempt to grow a beard. It wasn't working for me, but I was trying real hard. But Jesus changed my life, and I am grateful because I did something really crazy. Within 90 minutes, I started telling people what had happened in my life. Now, I didn't know very much, Mike. I, 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 I ran into this one kid. He's standing out in front of the high school with his girlfriend, his arm around, you know, puppy love leads to a dog's life. Nevertheless. Um, and I looked at him. I said, hey, man, I just asked Jesus of my life. I don't have to do drugs anymore. Don't you knock him till you try him. That's it. I mean, how much theology does a Jewish kid have in 90 minutes? But I told everything I knew, and I haven't stopped. And the Lord has been very gracious to give me a wonderful family, a a, a wonderful life partner, my wife. Uh, My grandson, Jack, is here serving with me today, and he travels on occasion with me when he can't stand up, Jackson. Amen. Thank you, sir. He's a member of the number one club. I'm a firstborn, I have a firstborn son, and he's a firstborn uh, of his parents. So we have this number one club thing going on, and we hang out when we can. But he's a fond young man of God. But I don't want to, so I got a little personal for a moment. But I want to speak to you today from the depths of my heart and the depths of my being. I've learned something in nearly 49 years of preaching. That if I simply bring you a sermon that I've drafted in a library or a study setting, it's good, but maybe it'll provide at best window dressing for your thinking. But if I can speak to you from my heart, accompanying the word of God, I might be able to connect with your heart. And I'm praying today that maybe we might have a heart transplant, eye transplant, that we can feel what Jesus felt, we can see what Jesus sees, and we can think how Jesus thinks. Can you agree with me on that, Father? Thanks for your goodness, your loving kindness. We ask for your presence that you've already graced us with in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to begin in John chapter 19 at the very end of Jesus' life. He's hanging on the cross, and we pick up in verse 28 out of the new living, and it reads like this, Jesus knew that his mission was finished. And to fulfill scripture, he said, I am thirsty. A jar of sour wine was sitting there, and so they soaked a the sponge in it, put it on a hyssop branch, and held it up to his lips. When Jesus had tasted it, he said, it is finished. Then he bowed his head, gave up his spirit. The end of his life, Jesus knew that his earthly mission was completed and accomplished. So he said those words. It is finished. A little over a year ago, when the great evangelist Billy Graham, 99 years old, preached an amazing amount of mass crusades to an amazing amount of people, when he went on to his heavenly reward... I believe Graham could have said the same words that Jesus said regarding his ministry that continues today. It is finished. But as I stand here in the House of God, Church on the Rock in Texarkana, and I look into the eyes of men and women throughout this auditorium, something is very clear to me it is not finished. The work is not over yet. And there's a word that I have to anchor upon today with you. It's a word that when you mention it, some people get so excited. They're pushing ahead in life. They're advancing. Some people, this word represents being terror-stricken and paralyzed, producing either action or resistance. It's the word change. Uh, Someone once said the only people that want to cry out for change is a baby with dirty diapers. Change. During election time, we cast a vote hoping for change. Uh, Many candidates run on the platform, we're going to bring change. Uh, We move to another location We take on a different job. Some folks even shift churches looking for change. Without a doubt, change is part of what life is all about here on planet Earth. Whether you like it or not, it happens. As a matter of fact, from the moment that we're conceived, change takes place in our body throughout all of our days, every day. Change. Without a doubt, it's a part of who we are and what it's all about. Fight it, and it runs you over. Mr. Webster helped us define this word a little bit more and bend our mind a little bit forward in embracing it. To, his definition includes to make different in some particular way or alter. Uh, to make radically different or transform to make a shift from one to another or switch. When you speak of change, there's often quite a bit involved, as this multifaceted definition shows us. But I've made a great discovery. How many of you like discoveries? That Christ followers, how many followers of Jesus Christ are here in the 11 o'clock service? Good, amen. This is the right time to fess up. How many of you are followers of Jesus Christ? One more time. How many of you are not followers of Jesus? How many of you aren't going to raise your hand no matter what question I ask here today? I don't want to isolate anyone. You see, I've discovered that the followers of Christ are the greatest change agents or agents of change in the world today. Think with me for a moment. Let's parallel followers of Christ and atheists. How many atheists... Start schools, hospitals, clinics, feed the poor, clothe the naked, uh, create water wells where water is so desperately needed, bring encouragement to the downtrodden, pray for the sick, lead people into a new life, show them the way of peace, through the prince of peace. You could go on and on. You see, the people of God, once again, are the greatest agents of change in the world today. Change is an integral part of Christianity. When Jesus came on the scene, remember this, when Jesus showed up, religion as it was known then changed dramatically forever, did it not? I mean, and I like that phrase out of Colossians that says Christ makes his home in our heart or our life. And it makes me think about, you know, when you move into a new place, new home, new apartment, new condo or townhome. And ladies, you unpack your dishes, you put your little knickknacks, where they need to go, you find the right walls for the right pictures, you begin to put your furniture over here, over here, no, over here, wait a minute, back over here, you are making that place your home. And Jesus kind of does the same thing in making his home in your heart, in your life. You see, the very presence of Jesus in a person's life lovingly yet distinctively and clearly demands change. As a matter of fact, if a person claims to have Jesus Christ in their life and there's been absolutely no change, I doubt that Jesus Christ has come into their life. They may have had a brush with religion. They may have had a twinge of conscience but they have never met the Jesus of the Bible. That sounds stiff. Folks, I mean, think about it. Encountering Jesus includes forgiveness of sin. (laughs) That's change. Uh, A cleansing of your conscience. That's change. (laughs) Healing your broken body, uh, deliverance, freedom. How many of you have been taking you from an old life to a new life, darkness to light? Uh, I mean, how many of you know that's change? Christianity, the gospel, and the church are to be transformative. Say that word with me. Transformative in nature, in practice, in fruiting evidence. The word transformative, according to Oxford Dictionary, means this, causing a marked change in something or someone. Change. We're talking about change. Thinking about this, often when I go to Los Angeles, I'm privileged to speak to about 150 men and women in the Discipleship Rehabilitation Ministry of the Dream Center in L.A. And when I speak there, They often will receive a special offering to give me. Nothing to do with money. They will all write little pieces of paper and sometimes they're like this big and they write about what the message meant to them. And I recently was given one. And the young man said this. He said, my name is Maximilian. I'm an ex satanist and I am uncomfortable with how comfortable I am becoming since Jesus came into my life. I hope you follow that with me. The guy's a Satanist, and he says he's uncomfortable. Why? Because he's becoming comfortable with Jesus changing his life. Change. Proverbs four eighteen says this: "The path of the righteous grows brighter and brighter." Sounds like change to me. The end of all things. We read this out of First Corinthians fifteen forty one: "We shall not all sleep, including in the eleven o'clock service." Oh, we shall not all sleep, but well, we shall all be changed. In the final time, we're going to be changed. Isaiah forty three eighteen and 19, do not remember the former things nor consider the things of old. Behold, listen up, hello, behold, now I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth, shall you not know it? I'll even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. We all like new things, don't we? And that verse talks about getting rid of the old, getting stuff new. And I like new things. Hey, these are new sneakers, man. These never go to the gym. They just go to church and preach. Just thought I'd tell you. I like new stuff. You can even buy a used car and put a new car smell in it now, can't you? But really with that verse, when it says, shall you not know it, it says recognize and embrace change. We're talking about change. How many of you experienced a change when Jesus Christ came into your life? You may not have been a Satanist. Maybe you were. I don't know. But you experienced a change. I did and I still am. I would venture this guess that you would agree with me. I'm just going to go over the edge. Someone once said, if you're not living on the edge, you take up too much space. Don't know who said it, but I've always liked it. I would venture a guess, and I believe you'd agree with me, that our world, our nation, in this community drastically, desperately all need change. Am I right? Thank all four of you. (laughs) What I find interesting, church, is that with all the earthly elements all the elements that make up this earth, the co-creator of the universe, Jesus Christ, chose two very extremely common elements to describe the lives of his followers, applicable to everyone who's following Jesus. Can you guess what they are? Matthew chapter 5 helps us beginning in 13. You're the salt of the earth. And if the salt loses its flavor... How shall it be seasoned? It's then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You're the light of the world. And a city that's set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. The two elements Jesus chose to describe us are two common elements, yet they affect change wherever they are, salt and light. This is not a, a deep revelation message. This is a message to help us walk successfully fulfilling God's purpose in our life. I repeat, the greatest agents of change in the world today are God's people. The greatest singular agent of change is the person that's sitting in the seat you are occupying at this very moment, you. Not the person who stands here or sings here, but you are my friends. Not only are we to be changed, I know I'm repetitious and continue to embrace change, but we are designed to be agents of change. Now I want to take a look briefly this morning at how these two common elements exemplify the life Jesus Christ designed for every one of us to live uh, element number one is salt. Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, hey, if you're no longer like Jesus, how shall it be seasoned? It's then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Now, that's these are some pretty specific statements Jesus made. He said, you're the salt of the earth. Let's say this together. I am the salt of the earth. Now, we'll say it in one sentence. I am the salt of the earth. Of the earth. I always wanted to be a conductor of an orchestra, so this worked really well. Thank you for fulfilling my dream. Amen. I am the salt of the earth. This applies to every believer, no exceptions. And we are to remain and be salty. Yes, I know. There was a time where, if we were to say, hey, he's a salty old boy, that meant he was crass, he, he told dirty jokes, had found that's not what we're talking about. But to be salty in this context is to be like Jesus with the help of the grace of God. Now we're past that. What's salt used for? Number one, salt is a preservative. The Christ-like presence, not self-righteous, religious presence but the christ-like presence of jesus i mean of believers raises the level of morality in their immediate surroundings and yet not just individually but think about a large body of believers who are proactive in their faith they 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 live like what they believe is true and they're following jesus how you affect the level of morality in the community now, you know, Pastor Mike had mentioned we take teams to Mardi Gras in New Orleans and you have a million of people, a million and a half that come from all over the world, get crazy drunk, naked, weird, and insane. And we have a great meet and greet. We meet them and greet them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is your worst pepperoni anchovy pizza dream mixed in with a horror show and a cult TV, all put together. And Yet I've had this crazy thought, what if no believers ever came? I was on a plane one time with uh, a bunch of guys that were in a Midas Muffler Man convention. And they said they just had their convention in New Orleans during Mardi Gras. I said, let me ask you a question. Did you come in contact with anybody Sharing the gospel of Jesus. Oh, yeah. You can't go there and not be touched by a gospel witness. That's pretty crazy. But yet I've had this crazy thought. What if no believers ever showed up there? How insane would it really be? We could not imagine. Another example of what I'm talking about. Have you ever walked up to somebody and they're in the middle of telling a dirty joke or using foul language, and you're not wearing a I Love Jesus t-shirt or have a big electric cross hanging from your neck or 500-pound family Bible with gold pages and a holographic picture of Jesus on the front. You know those holographic pictures? The eyes follow you all over the room. You're not doing any. You just gotta walk up, and as you encounter them, they go, oh, I'm sorry, man, I didn't mean to say that. (laughs) Have you ever had that experience? What you've really experienced and seen was the power of salt, spiritually speaking, in a preservative way. You just showed up, Jesus inside you. You didn't preach, wave a Bible, hit him in the head with a wooden cross or nothing. And you affected the level of morality there just for a moment. Imagine with me. If we all begin to live like that, wow. So salt is a preservative. Secondly, salt creates a thirst. What drew me to Christ again was this young man that I heard sharing his story. He'd been a rock musician in Hollywood. When he was 21, he had a house in Beverly Hills. His roommate was a Playboy bunny. He was partying with the stars, and I played a little music. thought, man, I want to be just like you. And no, that wasn't the case. I, would, I thought maybe if I connected with him, I could, you know, play music in Hollywood. But what really caught my attention was he had Jesus in his life. I didn't know who or what, but whatever he had, the intangibly something different, I wanted. How many of you are glad you got Jesus in your life? How many of you are glad for what God does? Can I tell you how to be a great witness, first of all? Number one, smile. You draw more flies with honey than you do vinegar. I don't want to be like you. You look like you've been baptized in lemon juice and just left your mama's funeral. (laughs) No, I just left church. (laughs) You're serious? Secondly, be grateful. You know, What gets me sometimes is when people come up and well, Jesus died for my sins. Are you serious? Is that all you can say? Man, there's no gratitude there. Just kind of mumbo jumbo. One time, this young man and his brother were spending the night at my house. Woke up in the morning and no breakfast food. You know what that means? I'm going to Mickey D's. I'm driving through McDonald's, and I'm going to get the two biggest whats your, what's your breakfast things. They, they serve you. So you know what happens when you go to McDonald's? You pull up to the box. You place the order. They say, please go to the first window and pay. So I go to the first window, and the, ca- the, the lady says, oh, sir, the guy in front of you just paid for your breakfast. I stuck my head out the window, I didn't recognize the pickup truck. So I did this. Thank you! <laughs> I was really grateful. I mean, I had plenty of money to pay for these two guys' breakfast. They gave me breakfast. I had plenty of, that wasn't the issue. I was grateful for that act. And we mumble about Jesus with less gratitude than getting a McDonald's breakfast. Folks, let there be an awakening inside of us, creating a thirst. I'm hungry for God, are you? Salt works two factors. One, by potency. How much like Jesus are you? Secondly, by proximity. Um, I grew up in the Northeast. Man, we'd get ice every year, sidewalk, driveway. We all had a bag of salt in the garage and, and salt in a bag didn't do any good, so when that ice came, we'd take that bag, pop it open, spread it over the sidewalk and the driveway so it could be rubbed right in and melt the ice. You and I, my friend, must get up close and personal in the world we live in. We can call them in from the north, the east, the south, and the west, and that's a good prayer, a good song, but after we're done, get up and go talk to somebody, Hello. Jesus said, go into all the world. We have to infiltrate. God has placed you wherever you are in an infiltrating tactic. Element number two is light. You're the light of the world in a city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket. But on a lampstand, Jesus makes you a light, but then he creates an individual lampstand for every one of you, where you work, where you live, where you do your business, where you go to Walmart, where you drive through Mickey D's. Makes no difference. God has created lampstands for every one of us with the intention of reflecting his light and his love and his presence. Anyone getting anything out of this? I know this is a third service. And the other one, I was fresh right now, I'm ripe. I just thought I'd warn you. <laughs> you see, when we choose to become Christ followers, as most, if not all, of you fessed up to, there's another verse that comes into play in your life. It's Psalm 3723. The steps of a good man are ordered and directed by the Lord. Incidentally, that's mankind and includes women too. Just thought I'd clear that matter up. God is not going to direct your life by the big, oh God, what is my career? What is my ministry? Who am I going to marry? Where am I going to live? God's not going to direct your life like that. God leads your life by steps. Now, if you get out of step, the dots are not connected to the big stuff. That's another teaching. But God wants to guide and direct your steps and give you what many call divine appointments. How many of you have ever had divine appointments in your life? I mean, I look at this past Mardi Gras outreach, you know, and there's a million people down there, and I realized after I got home and started to reflect that Jesus tailor-made three divine appointments for me there. Uh, one of my team leaders who's worked with me there for 30 years is sharing the gospel with this young man. And just out of earshot, he sounds like a good Christian church person. Nothing wrong with that. But then he turns to me and says, Scott, he's a college student. He's Jewish, and he's from New York. My ears went, what, ding? So I turned around, and I began to speak to him because... I'm Jewish, raised in the, you know, within the New York metropolitan I understand where he is, where he's coming from, what he understands and what he doesn't. No, he didn't come to the Lord, but he allowed us to pray with him right there. Then I'm walking down late Monday night, about 10 o'clock at night, it's cold, it's rainy, and we're on a side street and there's a guy playing a trumpet with a box trying to get some money. And I walked by him real quick, and I glanced at the box. There's not a dime in there. And I'm thinking, it's cold, rainy, ladies. You know, ain't nothing going to happen. So I don't normally give away money very often. But something said put a little money. So I took out a couple of singles and put them in the box and kept walking. Walked a few steps, and the Lord just kind of stopped me. I figured, okay, I need to go back and give more money. I'm okay with that. So I went back and pulled some more money out. And I said, by the way, What kind of trumpet are you playing? He said, I'm playing a Holton student trumpet. Now, let me just say something. Holton is not well-known anymore. It was bought by a larger company. Funny thing of it is, is I have a Holton trumpet. I started playing a Holton trumpet. You go, what's that? I'm going, uh, I just said, hey, man, I play that same trumpet. Now, it's a lot older than yours because I recognized the sound, and it looked kind of familiar. It looked like ours, Jack. And so began to talk with him, share with him. He turned out to be a believer, prayed with him right there. That was a divine appointment set up for me. Then I'm standing against the wall off of Bourbon Street, thousands of people up and down, and I'm just standing there trying to catch a breath, and a college student next to me probably had a little bit too much to drink, and he starts talking to me. Well, he's from Dallas. I live in Dallas, and I'm going, Lord, I, shared with, I prayed with all three of these guys for one reason or another. But the Lord tailor-made those three situations just for me. Not because I'm special. I'm an introvert by nature. I prefer not to converse with people if left to my own devices. But Jesus pays no attention to my natural wiring. So, I have to live on the verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He didn't allow me to be a research nerd, tucked away, researching the deep mysteries of the kingdom. No, he said, You're, you're going to go in all the world and preach the gospel. And by the way, you're going to help a lot of other people do the same thing. You never do it on your own. You're going to need help. Oh, yeah, I sure do. 24 7, 365, help from heaven. Friend, we're the light of the world. God's design is to uniquely and strategically position you. Acts eight says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. How many of you love the power of the Holy Spirit coming upon you? The Bible says the reason is to empower you, enable you equip you to be his representative his witness and and here he lists all over the world I mean you know Jerusalem Judea Samaria Texarkana Dallas Shreveport Los Angeles Calcutta all over the place we are destined to be his agents of change in the world that we live in no, my world may not be your world. I, I don't often talk about what we do and where we go. Why? Because my mission is to help you be here. I mean, my, my world is crazy. Yes, ministering to guys who have been saying this. Yes, going to Mardi Gras. Yes, working with drug addicts and gang members and inner city people. Yes, uh, making my fifth trip to Cuba in two and a half years. A broken nation that's experiencing an awakening. I, sometimes I feel like our ministry is like mouthwash. We just love the hard to ride. I mean, if you tell me there's dark, broken people in a dark, broken situation, I'm going, I'm on. But that may not be your place. But Jesus has a lampstand just for you. And it begins with, have you ever heard David's referenced Lord, make me a man after your own heart. When we begin to say, God, make me a person, a man or a woman after your own heart. And part of the heart of God is that none perish. And that when we say, Jesus, open our eyes, that we can see the harvest. We see the possibility of people coming to meet Jesus right here. Oh, it's God. This is the Bible Belt. This takes our candidates. Hey, what a great mission field. If you ask Jesus for his heart and ask him to open your eyes just a little clearer you're going to see possibilities of how people can be touched and reached your faith is going to embrace a daily prayer God lead and guide me today Lord do we have any appointments today you're going to walk through your neighborhood and pray and begin to bless them not not complain about those people whose yard looks like an everlasting garage sale or those kids man That the, the music and the noise is all day long and the crowd craziness that comes out of that house two blocks over. You're going to begin to pray, oh, God, help them. Oh, Lord, bless them. Oh, Lord, heal that family over there. God, deliver that young man. Matter of fact, my life was touched because our next door neighbor used to go care for these two little spinster old ladies in a Methodist camp town in New Jersey. And she would tell them the boy next door got arrested. The boy next door is on drugs. The boy next door is in trouble. And they began to pray for Ruth's boy next door. I was the boy next door. You see, Jesus wants us to acknowledge the fact that we are the representatives of heaven and the agents of change. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, Now then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Friends, as we prepare to move towards the end here today, there's two words that come to my heart, my mind. What if? What if you chose to live as Jesus said you are? The salt of the earth, the light of the world. What if you chose to rise above room temperature, normal Christianity and decided to take it to 212, the boiling point? Water is great at any temperature. We all like an ice cold glass of water. Hey, I prefer room temperature water. Why? Because I've, I've done things to this throat after all of the years of outdoor stuff and, and that no man should. I also like a hot cup of tea. But water becomes most powerful at 212 degrees at the boiling point where it turns to steam and you can even lift an airplane off an aircraft carrier on steam power. What if we chose to live our walk with Jesus at 212? Beginning with Jesus, you've said, I'm the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Jesus, you've created me to be an influence, to be an agent of change. America will change when God's people embrace this fully as never before. What if we chose to live believing that God has a purpose for our life and a mission for our life and assignments just for us? What if? I want to pray with you here this morning. Actually, this afternoon now. (laughs) And there's two calls for prayer that I'd like to give. I've spread a banqueting table. I've opened my heart, and I'm praying somebody caught the heart of God and not just the heart of Scott Henkel. Church, we were never meant to live as spectators, watching others work. I made up my mind a long time ago, I, I, I don't want to tell others stories very much. I want to tell my own story. I want to tell the stories of how Jesus has worked in me and through me, the stories of others are great. Please don't misunderstand me. But I was never meant to sit and watch others serve God. But I was made and designed to be a part, to influence the place where I work, the people I engage with. Hey, even the people at Walmart, <laughs> why not? In just a moment, I'm going to ask for those of you that would say, I choose to live as an agent of change. Jesus said, I'm the salt of the earth and the light of the world, and by faith, his grace and his spirit, I choose to embrace that as my life. But before I do that, I must ask you this real question. There was an invitation given earlier And the Lord touched lives. But maybe you're here today and you did not respond at that time. Maybe you're here today and truth be known, uh, while you're a believer, your heart and your life is really far from honoring and serving God. It could be because of things that have been done to you, circumstances, situations. Maybe you've drifted. Maybe you've fallen away. Maybe you've begun to engage in things. sin. But you say, I want to make my heart and my life right with God. Because when you do that, then you can say, Lord Jesus, I choose to live as you've said I am, the salt of the earth, the light of the world. You can live as an influence to other people. Or maybe you're here today. And honestly put, this is a great place to be. Going to church beats a lot of other places you could be on a Sunday. I know some people go to the gym, some go here, some go there. You came to the house of God maybe on an invitation. But going to church, while it was a good place to be, never in itself made someone a Christian, a child of God, or a believer. Any more than if you lived in a garage, you'd become a car. But today you say, I want to make my heart and my life right with God. That's the only reason I share my story. Because if Jesus can change my life, he can change anybody's life. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes with me for just one moment. And I am always under pressure from the Holy Spirit to open the door for men and women to make their heart and their life right with God. And you're here today and you say, Scott, I need to make, I want to make my heart and my life right with God. Either as a renewed commitment to Christ or for the very first time. And if that's you right now, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand and let me know. We will pray with you in just a moment. But you're saying, Scott, that's me. I want to make my heart and my life right with God. Let me see your hand here today, this morning. Thank you. You can put that down. Others in the back, thank you. Thank you in the back to my right. Thank you, absolutely. I'll give you a moment. There's no shame. There's no embarrassment. Forget what others around you might think. Hey, if they think ought, they need to come up here and get right with God too. This is the greatest moment that can bring a hairpin turn in your life. Secondly, you're here today, and you say this, Scott, I want to live as Jesus said I am. I want to be an agent of change. I want to live as the salt of the earth and the light of the world. I want God to use me to influence other people. I I choose to believe God for divine appointments. If you are willing to pray that prayer, and Jesus listens to simple prayers and looks for responses such as yours, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet right now. You say, I want God to use my life. I choose to live as an agent of change. As Jesus said, I am the salt of the earth, the light of the world. With the power of the Holy Spirit, the grace of God. It takes that. You see, we can have a great, make a great difference. Oh, the joy of allowing Jesus to move through your life to touch other people. There's no greater joy than that. One of the greatest, I'm addicted to seeing lives touched and changed by Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask you to raise your hands to the Lord, and we're going to pray together. We're going to pray a two-fold prayer. I believe the Holy Spirit is speaking to someone about really yielding their life to a call. I have no idea what that is. I'm not a prophet. I'm just a simple evangelist. But I believe God is dealing with someone to put a lot of life behind them to pursue all that God has. Maybe there's more. But you've run from the call of God. And the Holy Spirit is lovingly bringing that back to your attention in the context of this message today. Ah, what do I tell you to do? Say yes to Jesus. Maybe you might want to come and speak to myself or Pastor Mike or someone afterwards. But I'm going to ask you to raise both hands to the Lord here today. Our prayer will be twofold. First, for those to make their heart or their life right with God. And secondly, this is an amazing response here this morning. It means that there is hope. There is a great unleashing of salt and light in this community about to be unleashed in a greater way than before. But I want us to pray right now, loud enough that we blow the roof off. Lord Jesus, Thank you for your goodness and loving kindness. You've done more for me than I could ever deserve. You held nothing back on the cross. You died a brutal death. You were buried in the tomb, and God raised you from the dead. You showed that you love me. You showed that you care about me. You showed that you had the power to heal my life. Forgive me, Lord Jesus. I exchange the life that I've been living for the life you died to give me. Live inside of me. Use my life, all that I am and all that I'm not, all that I have and all that I don't have. Use everything I'm about. To be what you said I am, the salt of the earth and the light of the world, an agent of change. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, let's give God thanks for just a moment. Lord, we thank you. We honor you. As Pastor Mike comes, two things I want to say to you. Number one, we've got a few resources in the back that can help you along the way here. One of them's a little booklet I wrote years ago called Christian Come Out of the Closet, Don't Get Nervous. It's not about that. I just have to say this. You'll discover that this is really a Bible phrase the devil ripped off. But it's a one hour read to practically help you talk to other people about Jesus every day of your life. Secondly, Recapturing the primary purpose. If you're really serious about the Great Commission, this piece puts it in the place of priority for you. Thirdly, after Pastor Mike shares, if you made your heart of your life right with God, I'm going to ask you to meet us over by the cross. Matter of fact, if you didn't raise your hand, but you know you need to come to the cross for prayer, to make your life right, for God to touch you, maybe you're the one or ones that are responding to the call of God. I'm going to come right over here to the cross, and Pastor will join me shortly. And we want to pray with you. We want to talk to you. It's been my honor to be here. I pray God's blessing, God's strength, God's peace, and God's prosperity and a great harvest that moving into the gander property, my prayer is that in itself will not be big enough in and of itself to contain a greater harvest that's right ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, sir.
1: Amen. Come on. Let's give God glory tonight. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Go ahead and have a seat for a moment. Let's be real brief. First of all, we want to bless the man of God, uh, bless him and his family as he goes out. But he travels literally all over the world, but it, it, specifically in America, just to stir people up and, and to do what God's called him to do. And we want to help pay his expenses and bless him. And I'll have a Bible lane up here. We'll have ushers in the back. And you can use the debit machines or you do it online, however you need to do it. But we want to bless him. and uh, And we're going to have our altar team come up. And if you want prayer for anything... Some of you that feel that stirring just need to have somebody just lay hands on you and ask God to stir up those gifts in you. And then get out there and use those things for the kingdom of God. But let's stand to our feet. If you want prayer for anything, our altar team will be right here. And again, if you raise your hand to get right with God, uh, meet us over at the cross. Or if you feel like there was a call of God in your life, you need to step into and you felt the Lord speaking. to you meet uh, myself and Scott over there. Amen? How about one more time giving God glory? Great, great weekend. Now let's pray for some divine appointments. Let's go ahead and worship as you close. Sing through one time. Altar team's up here if you want prayer for anything.